Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship and building in public. Today we'll dive into what features to build for your software business and what not to do. Let me quickly thank the sponsor of this episode, Acquire.com. More on that later. Now let's talk features. So I read an article this week about the tyranny of the marginal user. That was the name of that particular article. It was really interesting. The author discussed how large companies focus more on attracting new customers than retaining current ones and building features for that, primarily because of like unit economics and the internal company politics. It was a fascinating read from the perspective of a Google insider. I recommend you reading it. And it talks about products that have massive user bases, like OkCupid, okay that was given as an example too. And it used to be a pretty complex product that made it possible to find very interesting romantic matches. And it was had a lot of ca a catalog of a lot of questions and all that was complicated. And over time, it devolved into something more like Tinder, a pretty simple swiping app that does not create deep connections, but it's more for hookups and that stuff. And the point here was that they had to cater not to the existing users, but to their growth metrics to get new people. Things got simple and boring because they built features for the next user, a user with less attention and more you know, simplicity expectations. And that made me wonder, about indie hackers and our small software products that we build, because we also need to grow, but we need to retain customers just as much, maybe even more because their monthly payments keep our businesses afloat. So how much complexity do we allow in our products and the features that we build? How many customer feature requests do we actually implement or should we listen to them at all? And it's a difficult choice because we often don't know how customers will respond to new features, prim primarily our early customers. And our development time is very precious when we're also trying to bootstrap a whole business around a product at the same time. We don't have the luxury of being able to just build, build, build all the time. There's more, there's marketing and sales and biz dev and whatnot. It's indie hacking. It's a lot of things at the same time. And as such a person, as a software engineer and business operator, well, I have a framework for this and I want to share that with you, my personal framework for judging feature requests and improvements in a business. I found that the highest chance of feature adoption and customer retention comes from features that align with the job that the customer needs to do with the tool. And I mean specifically the jobs to be done framework here. That's really excellent for understanding requirements like this. A good example for having implemented this in the past is Feedback Panda, the software as a service business that I co-founded and then two years later sold in, in 2019. The job that people had was for these online English teachers to create written feedback for parents of the kids they were teaching and then submit that feedback to be able to be paid. So features that made this process faster or easier were quickly adopted and appreciated, and features that did something outside that scope were often ignored and complained about. Like we considered integrating other systems that they may have used or building communication features between teachers, but those things were underused or unused at all. The features that we thought about were not critical to the job at hand, which was creating and submitting feedback. But once we built features for that, we built this feedback template sharing feature into the product, its adoption exploded. Understanding the job to be done was crucial. And we did that research, we got it, and then we built features just for that. And those features that supported this consistently increased retention 
and signups too, because our customers were so happy to refer new teachers away, particularly with this feature, because it was a network effect feature um, that meant that job would get easier if those new teachers that they referred shared their own templates inside our product. It was really a good driver for growth. And funny enough, I think that's precisely why products with millions of users go for the marginal user and the marginal features. They need more people to join their networks for the network effects to work more effectively. So in a way, indie hackers and unicorns like that, they are pretty much aligned. It's just that as we're hunting for this elusive product market fit, our marginal users, the next user to join the business, well, they are not these kind of people that only want simple UX. Our marginal users are still early adopters who have a higher capacity for dealing with complex products. I think for OkCupid in the beginning, that was the same deal. The people who went there, they had a choice between simple dating sites and a more complex thing, and they were fine with complex. So yeah, back to what features to build as an indie hacker. And let's get away from the whole online dating thing for a second, because it's, it's just an example, right? But it shows just where you can end up if you only go for that next user to join your business instead of building things to keep people there for the core reasons that they joined um, your customer base in the first place. So I noticed two other factors to be really useful for judging the criticality of a feature, how important it is to build that at an early stage. And that's workflow inputs and workflow outputs. Because every job to be done starts somewhere and has a result that the next job needs. And I have an example here. When I learned to program the Elixir language, I was mesmerized by just how elegant functional programming can be. Because every function in there takes in data, transforms it, and then returns data again. An Elixir program is really just a chain of data transformations. And once I understood that, that coding part got super easy. And I think, in a way, that chain of transformation, that's exactly what a workflow is. You start with a task, and you end with a deliverable. And in between these two sit many subtasks that each have some kind of input and output. And one task's output is the input of the next one, which means that any feature that makes this easier is a strong candidate to be built early. So for inputs, just look for features that add ways to connect and make connection easier to the things that come before. And for outputs, add new formats that follow-up tasks expect or can deal with more easily. And anything that enriches the outputs in ways that future tasks can use is a good idea too. So if you have like a video editor that adds subtitles to short video clips, these little you know text that's in the video, maybe you could also export a variety of subtitle files like SRTs or whatever these things are called that platforms like YouTube prefer to ingest instead of just burning the text into the video. I mean, you probably want both, right? You want the platform to know what it is about and you want it in the video. So this is an output that you can generate that makes a future step, like telling the platform what the content is about, easier. It's essential to focus on features that align with the job that your customer needs to do, both within your product and the workflow outside it. That's something that people seem to forget occasionally, that their product exists in a workflow that other products are also part of. And if you build something that lacks this focus, well, these products go die in the startup graveyards every single day. They're just great ideas, but they get abandoned the moment that your prospective customers, when they try it out, notices that these products don't fit into their existing process. They will not change their whole process for your cool tool. You have to fit into theirs. But if you support their workflow, 
you can expect significantly higher retention and happier customers who are more likely to refer others to your product because it works for them, it respects their workflow, and it speaks to their needs. And still, when they speak, be careful with feature requests from your customers. When they request features, make sure that the requests themselves are specific and relevant to the job that your tool is meant to solve. Be cautious about implementing very unspecific requests like, oh, we need more input features or we need more data, whatever that might mean. Only go for specific ones. Or also don't go for features that go beyond the scope of your tool's initial purpose. Stick to your core promise and focus on solving the specific problem that you set out to solve. And in the future, you can always choose to expand your scope of your product, your business, whatever. But as an early stage founder, just don't let yourself be pressured into building everything right away. Because sometimes customers say they will join if you build a particular feature. If possible, make them commit by paying for a multi-month subscription with the guarantee that you built the feature within a reasonable time frame. Otherwise, them telling you that they will sign up if you build this, that's just an empty promise that will lead to feature bloat in your product for a customer who is not even paying. And it's okay to say no to potential customers who try to pull you towards solving other problems outside the job to be done that you want to solve. Stay focused on your initial goal. That's really what a business is about. Don't pivot too quickly based on individual requests. If everybody wants that thing, it's a good idea to pivot. But if there are just a couple people among dozens of people who do not request this, you know, they might not need that. And you won't need that. Just because someone wants something different doesn't mean you should act without purpose. It's like being a headless chicken running around aimlessly. That's not a way to build a purposeful business. So let's just... Make a checklist here. When deciding if you should build a feature, just look at these couple things. Is it a job to be done that you're currently solving? Does it fit the scope of the problem that you're trying to solve? Is it part of a workflow? And does it improve integration into existing processes? Does it change or simplify input methods? Or is it enhancing your output, adding new ways to export results or enrich the data for easier use with other tools? The more of these criteria your feature fits, the more likely it is that you should go ahead and build it. And if not, it's probably a good idea to wait. And that's it for today. I will now briefly talk about the sponsor of this episode, Acquire.com. Because it also kind of fits. We were talking about like businesses growing and features here. Imagine a situation like this. You're a founder who's built this solid SaaS product. You built all the features you needed. You've got customers and it's generating consistent monthly revenue. You have retention, which is the dream, right? The problem is you're not growing for whatever reason. Right? You keep people, but no new people show up. Lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest or lack of features. You just feel stuck. What should you do? Well, the story that I'd like to hear is that you buckled down, reignited the fire, got past yourself and built the things that needed to be done. And you worked on the business, not in the business. You started audience building and marketing, move out of your comfort zone to all the things that you should do, right? And six months down the road, you tripled your revenue. Reality is not that simple. Situations 
are different for every founder here if, when you're facing this crossroad. But too many times, the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until that business that you're building becomes less and less valuable or at worst, worthless. So if you find yourself here or you think your story is likely headed down the similar road, I can offer you a third option. Consider selling your business right now on acquire.com because capitalizing on the value of your time today is a pretty smart move, right? There are other things you could do. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. So go to try.acquire.com slash Arvid and see for yourself if this is the right option for you today. You don't have to do it, but it's always nice to know where you stand and being able to sell a business well, that's great, right? So here we are. Thank you so much for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at Avidka, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You find my books, my Twitter course there too. And if you want to support me in this show, which I would really appreciate because it's just very nice, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast near a player of choice, and maybe leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder or wherever you rate and review your podcast. Any of this will really help the show. So thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye. Bye.